This morning we have a, a privilege of hearing from one of our uh, staff uh, members, uh, Nathan Luswick. Nathan uh, joined this church or came to this church with his family, Allison, and he have uh, been with us for a couple of years. Last fall, uh, Nathan uh, joined our staff as ministry for uh, children's ministries and also ministering to the parents uh, and encouraging the parents and ministering to their own children. Uh, and this is his first opportunity to bring the word, something that he's been anxious about in every sense, both uh, metaphorically, you know, looking forward to, and it's also quite intimidating the first time you stand up. You're a scary bunch sometimes, and um, and, and so, uh, but it is a passion of his that the word uh, be studied and heard and, and, and embraced. Uh, Nathan um, has been on other church staff. He served as a youth director for a time, as a worship director for a time. Uh, he has uh, almost finished a couple of classes, a couple of credits to negotiating with people at Westminster and uh, in uh, seminary in uh, California, uh, which we hope will, he'll be able to finish up here sometime soon. And, uh, and his desire is to minister to God's people. So Nathan, if you'll come and share God's word with us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Well, it is my delight and deep pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, we continue our sermon series in the Psalms, and if you've been with us for any amount of time this summer, you have heard some very weighty psalms. Uh, you have heard psalms of lament. You have heard cries for mercy and repentance and prayers in the dark, uh, good, weighty, deep psalms. Uh, but today is uh, in stark contrast to that. Today is the 103rd psalm, uh, and it is pure praise. Uh, it's not asking God for anything. There's no call to destroy his enemies. There's no despair just unadulterated praise from start to finish. Uh, I would like to make a quick disclaimer before we start, though, uh, and an invitation. Maybe this isn't where your heart is this morning. Maybe you are not at a place where you just want to praise the Lord today. Maybe your heart's still back in the 55th Psalm, and you say, my heart is in anguish within me and the terrors of death surround me. Maybe you're still in chapter 51, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Maybe you identify more this morning with the psalmist Asaph in chapter 73, and you're envious of the prosperity of the wicked. You look around you and you see people with ill-gotten gain and uh, all the, the evil that reigns in this world and how they seem to do so well, and you, it frustrates you and it keeps you from worship. Well, if any of those are you this morning, I would, I would ask you to stay with me. Hear this psalm in whatever faith you can muster this morning and know that it is exactly the text for you this morning. This psalm is for those who are on the mountaintop. The psalm is for those who are in the valley. And it's for the people that are in the deepest parts of the ocean and can't even see a path forward, can't get a single ray of light. This is for all of you. This psalm this morning is for you. Hear now the word of the Lord. Lord. 
the 103rd Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments." The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this morning, Lord. Oh, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, commonly referred to as the Prince of Preachers by many, uh, when he came upon this psalm, he said that he would less like to preach it as he would like to just sit down and have a happy cry over it. Uh, Matthew Henry, the famous commentator said that this psalm calls more for devotion than for exposition. And I have to say, I'm in full-hearted agreement here. I, uh, I kind of just want to read this psalm like three or four more times, have the benediction and call it a day, you know? Um, but there are just so many gems in this text, and they're not even buried. They're just lying there. It's, it seems like it would be a shame to walk on by without bending down to pick up some of them. So, we're going to do that this morning, or we're going to attempt to. And as we do, I'd like to give you a framework on which to hang all of this. Uh, since we're a Presbyterian church, I'll give it to you in three points, but really, we only need one. Uh, we'll, we'll start with this. Remember. Remember. 
Number two, revere. And number three, respond. So we're going to remember. And if we do that rightly, we ought to revere. And if we do all of those, it will elicit a response. Remember, revere, and respond. If you want to simplify it, just remember to remember. Let's start off with the background of the 103rd Psalm. This is of David. This is one of the 73 Psalms that are attributed to David. This is the same David that fought Goliath. This is uh, King David. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart. This is that David. And uh, these 73 of his Psalms account for almost half of the entire Psalter. It's found at the end of the fourth book, uh, and the Psalms are historically divided into five sections. They're thought that by scholars that that mirrors the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And so there's that connection as well. But this is at the end of the fourth one, and it is coming out of darkness, and it's a psalm of praise. It is coupled with the 104th, which also starts the same way, bless the Lord, O my soul. But there's an interesting distinction between the two. The 104th addresses God directly, whereas ours this morning, the 103rd Psalm, addresses everyone and everything but God. He starts with himself. He moves to the congregation. Then he extorts the angels. And then from there, the rest of creation before finally returning to himself. There are no occasions attached to this psalm, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about. In a number of the psalms in the title, we hear uh, what was the event that caused it. So, for example, when David fled Saul, or when David hid in a cave. We don't have any of that here, which is not to say that those that have those titles make it uh, less applicable to our daily lives. But the fact that this has no baggage attached to it in that respect, it just increases the universality of it. It almost screams for us, this is for every day of your life. Pick it up. You can apply this today. You can apply it tomorrow. There is not a time in your life when this is not applicable to you. And then there's one final thing that I think we really need to think about before we jump in to the text itself. And this is, uh, this is paramount. This is really important. Man, my mouth is dry. Excuse me. Uh, this is that, that key thing that we need to remember, that there is just one way of salvation. As Chelsea was talking earlier, there's not an, an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. There's not one way for the members of the Old Covenant and one way for the members of the New Covenant. It is all by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But Nathan, you say, yes. Those people were before Christ. They didn't know Jesus. How could that possibly be? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. They look forward to Christ. They are the people of God who are looking in faith. They don't know. They can't see it perfectly yet, but they look forward to the cross. And this is exactly what we are told. We look at Hebrews 11, this laundry list of all the heroes of the faith. And what do they say? It says, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. 
that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Jesus himself says of Abraham in John 8, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Abraham didn't know the person and all of the intricacies of Jesus, but he had faith. He trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. So we have these members of the Old Testament and they look forward to Jesus. And we, members of the post-Jesus crowd, the, the New Testament church, we look back to Jesus, but we're all looking at the same Jesus and we're sitting at the foot of the same cross. That is where forgiveness is found, nowhere else. Let's keep that in mind as we go through this text this morning. So point one, remember. Bless the Lord, O my soul. As Phil Johnson points out, this phrase is used 23 times in the Old Testament. Five, only five of those are used outside of the Psalms. And so it, it kind of sounds like bless the Lord, praise the Lord. They're kind of interchangeable. And in a sense that they, they are, uh, but there's a key distinction here. And we, we find it in places like 1 Chronicles 29 and Nehemiah 9.5. When, when this phrase is used, bless the Lord, it is a formal call to worship. It is uh, asking for a verbal proclamation of the blessings of God. Uh, in 1 Chronicles, David says to the assembly, bless the Lord your God, and the assembled bless the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. In Nehemiah, it says, the Levites and others say, stand up, bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. So this is a corporate call to worship. It's a formal phrase, and it's used in corporate worship. But it's not only that. He's using it here very personally. What does he say? Bless the Lord, O my soul. So it doesn't stay in the corporate realm. It's very personal. First and foremost, he preaches to himself. Now, this is a point where we, we need to remember that he is the king of all Israel. So this is, this is King David. He, is, he has two very important functions. He represents all of his people. He stands for them and he represents them. And he's also to be somebody that is emulated by the people. So when the people see the king, this is, I, I need to emulate what he's doing. I, I want to be like this guy. And what is he doing? He's calling himself to praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The grand choir of praise starts with individual voices that are raised up and joined together. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. So it's not just bless my name, bless his name, it's bless his name with all that I have. This is an echo of the great commandment. Do we remember the great commandment? What do we say? Love the Lord. It's Deuteronomy 6, 5, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So that is a very tall order. And I am willing to say that I don't think I've ever attained that. But he says it. Bless it with all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Well, how? How are we supposed to do this? Well, he tells us in the very next, in the very next line. Dim the lights. Light the incense. Cue the fog machines. Fire up the lasers. No. He doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, 
Remember, remember, forget not all of his benefits. He looks not inward for some sort of subjective experience, but he looks outward to God's record of faithfulness. And so too must we. Remember. Remember what God has done and what he is doing. Verse 3. What has God done? What is he doing? He forgives all your iniquity. Boom, right there. We could stop right there and we would be good to go for the rest of eternity. But he doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. That's the fountainhead of this whole thing. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now that, that phrase, steadfast love and mercy, is worth pausing and thinking about for a second because it gets translated a bunch of different ways because it is such a rich term. It's the Hebrew term chesed, and it is not, you can't encapsulate it with just steadfast love. Sometimes they translate it loving kindness, but it's, it's a deep personal covenantal love. This is not like, oh man, I love that pizza. Oh man, love that football game the other day. No, this is a, this is a covenantal love. And do we have anybody who was here at Vacation Bible School? Yeah, a couple. Do you remember what, what a covenant is? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a deep promise, right? It's a lot of things, but at, at the heart of it, it is a, it's a promise. And it's one that's based on the character of God. And does God break his promises? I, all right, you guys, you're making me look bad. You're a VBS. Help me out here. Does God break his promises? No, he doesn't break his promises. This, this love is based in God's character, his promise-keeping, covenant-making character, and he does not break that promise. It combines the idea of love, generosity, enduring commitments all into one. Going on, he's, what else does he do for you? He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. He condescends to his people. He doesn't need to do that. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Notice something here too. With the exception of he made known his ways to Moses... Everything else there is ongoing. It's not past tense. You have been. Our being will continue to be forgiven, crowned with blessings of covenantal love. It goes on. This isn't something you did and you forget about. It's nothing he did and he's forgotten about or something he did and you fall out of favor. It's ongoing for his people who love him. So remember... Remember that. Remember also who God is. Next verse says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There's that word again, abounding in this covenantal love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. That term chide there, that's a legal term. He's not going to hold a grudge. He's not going to bring that case against you in court that is due to you. He's not bringing it against you forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. 
Praise God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who love him and for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Let's just pause for a second and think. When it comes to the moment where he has to describe his love and his forgiveness, what are the metaphors that the Lord uses here? They are infinite. They are infinite. So high from from the earth to the heavens. You can't even measure it. So far from the east to the west is how far he has scattered your sins. I think, and I think it's so cool, too, that it's east and west and not north and south. Because what happens if you go far enough north? You start going back south, right? So at some point, you can start going south. But there is no way. You can just keep going east, and you're just going to keep circling the globe. You can keep going west, you're going to go. It goes forever just as far as he has thrown away your sins. If you trust in him and repent of them. Remember. Remember who God is. Remember also our mortality. Verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. We are dust. Days are like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field, and its place know it no more. I've been to more funerals than I'd like to be at. And I just imagine you have as well. And it, it always strikes me how quickly the conversations turn. People go, pay their respects, pray, have the service. And usually, we'll, we'll go after to a, a lunch or something like that. And before the hors d'oeuvres are even finished, people have, what are they talking about? Oh, what are you doing next week? Oh, where are you guys going on vacation? Oh, what's going on? Uh, what are we having for dinner tomorrow? Like, it shifts so fast. Life moves on. We are dust, and its place remembers it no more. But now, contrast that to the covenantal love of the Lord. What does it say in verse 17? Everlasting to everlasting. What does that mean? In comparison to our finite blink of an eye, time on this earth. The love of the Lord goes from everlasting in both directions. So we kind of understand everlasting that direction forever. We're going to be with him in heaven and it's going to be awesome. New heavens, new earth. Great, forever. It goes backwards too. And what does that mean? That means that before the foundations of the earth, he called you and he loved you. Before any of this, Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Why sons and not sons and daughters? Because sons were the full inheritor. They, they got all of it. So it's not saying, it has nothing to do with your gender there. You are an adopted as a son in that you get the full inheritance. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. 
And his righteousness goes to children's children. He loved you before time. He loved you into time immemorial. And he will bless your children and your children's children. He's a generational God. Remember that. But this love, this covenantal love, is not for everybody. So who is it for? Well, he tells us in verse 18. On those who fear him and remember to do his commandments. So this leads us to our second point. So we need to remember. Remember all these attributes of God. Remember who he is, what he's done. Remember that we are finite and that our days are numbered. And then also, when we remember that, we have to remember to revere. That those should make us revere him. It says, who fear him. On those who fear him and remember to do his commandments. I was reading this text with Calvin the other day. Not John Calvin, my youngest son, Calvin. Um, you, uh, if you, if you go here, you may know my son from such hits as, uh, who's that sliding under the piano during worship? And uh, why does that four-year-old have the coffee pot over there? That's that Calvin. Um, and we're reading this text, and we get to the part where it says that you have to keep his commandments. And his eyes get real big, and he goes, uh-oh. <laughs> Amen, son. <laughs> exactly. Four years old, and he gets it. Why does he say that? Well, because none of us love him as we ought. None of us keep that commandment, his commandments. None of us keep the covenant. That's why... We need Christ. But it's important to remember that we don't just simply throw up our hands and say, well, nobody's perfect. Jesus has got this taken care of, so I think I'll just go sin now. No, of course not. That's not, that's not how this works. When you come to saving faith, sin becomes repugnant to you. Good works are done out of gratitude for what has been done for us in Jesus, not as a way of us trying to earn our way to the Father. We can't do that. He did that, and so because he did that, we go and do good works. Saving faith necessarily produces good works. When you revere the Lord, that is the byproduct. It will, you will do good works. You will want to keep his covenant. If you've truly been converted, your life will show it. Now, it doesn't mean, I, I hear you, I hear you, hang on a second, that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean either that it's going to be immediate. But over the course of your life, the true believer will grow. You'll see it, it'll, it'll go like this, but it starts down here, and it ends up here, even with all the peaks and with the valleys. The true believer grows in holiness, in repentance, in love for God, in hatred of the sin they, they see in themselves and, and the sin that they see in the world, and they grow in love for other believers. So I want to take a second and ask you, does that describe you? It can be a scary question to ask yourself, but it's an important one. We're going to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Does that describe you? Do you does your heart have any affection for the Lord? Do you see yourself growing in that? 
My friends, I say this with all humility, and this is a terrifying thought, but Jesus said that many will say to me in the final day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Millions have faithfully gone to church, put their money in the plate, check the box, but they have no love for God or for the things of God. Their hearts have not been changed by the truth of the gospel, and they will spend eternity in hell. I say this as the chief of sinners, by the way. I am not above anybody in this room. I say this just as a messenger, as a, as a dying man preaching to dying people. If you are without Christ, you are heading for everlasting damnation. And you might be here, and you might call yourself a Christian, but maybe your life doesn't show it. When was the last time you had an affection for the Lord? Is your, is your life following that path? Jesus said to fear the person who could send you to hell. He's talking about God. Don't, don't worry about the people who can kill the body. Worry about the person, God, who can kill you and then send you into hell. But the good news is you don't have to be one of those people. Seek the Lord while he may be found. His promise is that all who come to him will receive, he will receive them, and he will never cast out any who come to him in faith. Repent, believe the gospel. For those that do that, this fear that David is talking about here is a filial fear. It's, a, it's the type of fear that somebody would have for a great parent. Like, oh, I, I, I love, I honor, I respect, I don't want to disappoint them, or I don't want to be... Uh, I don't want to be disciplined by them. Um, that's the sort of fear that we are to have. It's a, it's a love. It's a respect. Uh, it's an awe. Uh, it's not a fear of damnation. So if you are in Christ, please hear me this morning. That is not a fear that you need to have. But if you are apart from Christ, you should be terrified and you should run to him. Revere the Lord. So what is the proper response? Third and final point, and this one's way faster than the other two, so stick with me here. What is the proper response? Well, when we remember what God has done, when we remember who he is, when we remember that our days are numbered, when we remember the good news of the gospel, what is the response? All of creation bursts forth in praise to bless its maker. Look at verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels. Bless the Lord, all hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion, every square inch, every molecule in all the universe is to praise the Lord. And then finally, from the macro, it comes all the way back down to the micro, starts with the voice of one. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So remember, remember, When the dog's barking, when the baby's crying, when you're running late, and the kids lost their shoes, and you lost the kids, when you lock yourself out of the house, and you lock yourself out of the car, remember. When your parents 
don't understand you, when your friends betray you, when the homework feels like an impossible amount, when the pressure from being constantly connected and judged based on everybody else's social media feed is like a mountain on your chest, remember. When your spouse leaves you, when the test comes back positive, when your family member dies, remember. Remember who God is. Remember what he has done. Remember what he did 2,000 years ago on that tree, on a hill outside of Jerusalem for sinners, for rebels, for people who cursed his name and denied him and lived their own way. Remember how he shed his blood for you, how he took your punishment on himself so that you could have the everlasting experience of being with God. Remember. Remember and preach the gospel to yourself every day of your life. Every day. Look not to yourself. Remember. Look to him. Remember him. Revere him. And bless the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the love that you have poured out on us undeservedly. The, the bountiful, immeasurable, covenantal love that lasts from everlasting to everlasting on your people. We pray that you would remind us every day of our lives what you have done for us. And pray for those here who don't yet know you. And for those who are listening who don't yet know you, we pray that they would come to, to saving faith in you. We pray that those who are here and are putting their trust in you would be renewed by your word and by the promises and by remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would keep us and hold us all the days of our lives. And we know that you will. We pray these things to your glory, for Christ's sake, and in his name. Amen.